We're starting a, a series this morning that we're going to continue for a little while called Honoring the Holy Spirit in Our Midst. It's a big deal. Everything that happens in our lives, all of the application of Jesus in us, all of the shaping of our lives into the conformity to his image comes because of the working and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I got an email from a good friend this week, actually just a few days ago, with another story of the revelations of the corruption and debauchery of a internationally known charismatic leader. I don't know why they want to send those to me. But we all know that that's out there. It grieves me for sure. I have some good friends who walked away from a spirit-filled life after walking that way for over 20 years because they became so confused and disillusioned with fallen leaders and with scandal and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I believe that's the wrong way to go. We're going to hold to the truth of Scripture regardless of what anybody does. Jesus promised there was going to be false prophets. Paul said there's going to be even those that rise up from among you that are going to be wolves. And we don't take that to go, okay, we're going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We're not going to, to do that. Our heart in this body, in this house, is we're going to treasure the Holy Spirit. We're going to treasure his moving. We're going to treasure his gifts. We're going to treasure his activity and his working. But we're also going to be healthy in the process. And so that's kind of the balance we want to strike. If you've been around charismatic circles very long in your life, you know that there's some things that happen that could be uh, a big question mark. It's okay. The reality that we're going to hold to here is the first value that we're going to hold to before we get into talking about things that might not be right. We're going to treasure who the Holy Spirit is and the amazing gift that God has given us in his spirit. We're going to embrace him. We're going to treasure him, we're going to love him, and we're going to honor him in our midst. Are, are you with me there? Okay, so I, I want to preach a message this morning called The Promise of the Father. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 1, that's going to be the main text. If you'll turn there, we'll start at the very beginning of the book of Acts. You know, counterfeits don't negate that there's the real, do they? Exactly. When, when you find that you have a counterfeit in your wallet, you just throw away all the rest of your $20 bills? No, no. no. We, we get rid of the counterfeits and we hold on to what's valuable. I've been interested in my life sometimes about counterfeit money. Just I don't know why it became an interest, but there's, there's almost $200 million of counterfeit money in in circulation at any time in our country. That's a lot of money. It costs businesses money because they don't get reimbursed for that. If you take counterfeit bills to the bank, they're not going to give you real money for that. They're going to say, you're a sucker. Why would you get that? Why would you accept that? So it does cause problems. Here's the definition. This is a good definition of counterfeit. It's made in the 
Exact imitation of something valuable or important with the intention to deceive or defraud. There are counterfeits in the body of Christ. They imitate what is real, but they're not. And there's fraud and there's deception. But I'm not going to let the counterfeiters take away the real from me. We're going to go hard after God. And here's what happens. If we focus on all the negative, then we become cynical and we become afraid. I've seen that process happen over and over again. And so then we back away from what's real. I, for one, I'm not going to back away from what's real. I'm going to go after what is revealed in the scripture and what the Father's heart is for us as his people. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read down through verse 8. I'm going to make some comments along the way here. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about the, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. This verse amazes me in verse 2. It, it, it strikes me always. Jesus is raised from the dead here. He's waiting to ascend to the Father. And it says that he gave the commands to the apostles by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, from the time that he was conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, throughout his entire life and his ministry, everything was predicated on the working and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Acts 10.38 says about his ministry, how God anointed Jesus of Christ, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus lived and moved by the power of the Holy Spirit in all that he did. His whole life was marked in that way, just like ours needs to be. Verse 3, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to, but to, but to wait. Is that not amazing? Jesus is just about to ascend to heaven. He's been raised from the dead for 40 days. He has personally come and taught his disciples, his apostles. He has confirmed to them things that they didn't know, didn't understand. He has appeared in rooms where they were without them knowing how he got there. He has instructed them. But he said, you need to wait. You're, you're not ready yet. Even though I lived with you and I walked with you for three years or more, and you watched me do the miracles. Think, think about the privilege that they had. Before Pentecost, the apostles were not yet fit to be Jesus' witnesses. Even though they had been with the Lord during the three years of his ministry, they had heard of all of his teachings. They had been able to ask him privately any questions they had about Scripture and about serving God. Who, who would like to have that? They had watched him perform the most amazing miracles, cast out demons, and confront religious leaders. They had seen his private life up close and personal like no one else could. Who would like to have seen that? They took Passover with them. 
and they had their feet washed by him. They had seen him after he had risen literally in the body from the grave. They saw him just appear out of nowhere in their midst and personally received 40 days of instruction and preparation for their ministry to come. But all of that was not enough. He said, wait, you're not ready yet. You will not succeed in what I sent you to do until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. If the apostles were incapable of being true, true witnesses without the baptism in the Holy Spirit, who are we to claim that we can be witnesses without such power as well? Verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want to, I asked Joe, this is an illustration that I want to use because I feel like very often this is misunderstood. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and like it just gets all confused. What, What is he talking about? As John baptized with water... So you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, Joe, would you come up? This is way, like 20 times too small, but I want you guys to see a a physical illustration. Joe's going to hold this. This is um, one of the toys out of our grandkid closet (laughs) where we have these toys for when kids come over, and especially our grandkids. It's a closet full of little toys. So is it okay if I call him Little Joe? Sure. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Little Joe... Well, 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 you know he's younger because he's got hair. <laughs> there we go. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got the water. But he's got restraint from the Holy Spirit. So as John, how did John baptize? He took them down into the Jordan River and he put them under the water and he drew them back up. And this is what Jesus is talking about. It's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the baptism in. The the Greek word E-N-N can mean in, with, or by. But when you're talking about John baptizing in water, you would think that in would be the best translation. You could say with. He's baptized with water. Yeah, it's a river. They're going under the water. But here's what happens to us. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen to you. There's a promise from the Father. And this is amazing in Luke's gospel and in the first chapter of Acts. He calls it the promise of the Father. It's the only place in the New Testament where that kind of phraseology is used. It's, It's meaningful. It's powerful. It's as if this stands as a huge monolith to the working of God in your life. This is the promise of the Father. What is that promise? You're going to, like John baptized in Jordan. I know this needs to be about 20 times bigger, but you guys get the picture of what we're doing. Little Joe is going down into the water. He's underwater. When when little Joe is baptized in the Holy Spirit, what's happening to him? (laughs) The water is on the outside of him. If too much gets on the inside, that's not good. So, he comes up. What does he look like? Is is he wet? He's wet. So, when you go down into the water and you come up, 
I've never had anybody said, oh, I, I just got baptized, but their hair's dry and they're just all well kept. No, no. I, if you come up out and you go, I'm dry and you were just baptized, I don't believe you. If you say, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, just as John baptized people in the Jordan, and you say, there's not really much activity of the Holy Spirit in my life, I don't believe you. When we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we get immersed, thank you. Can, can you thank Big Joe? <laughs> I'll let little Joe dry out and rest. Here's the thing. When we, when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we become immersed in him and there's no part of us. It's in your eyes, he's in your ears, he's in your mouth, he's covering you. That's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be immersed. Who does the immersing? John baptized in water. Who, does, who baptizes in the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Yes, he does. John chapter one. Let's read a couple of verses there. These are the two main ministries of Jesus that the Father pointed out to John the Baptist. This is John chapter one, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who is of higher rank, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, because he didn't look all that different from anybody else. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. In verse 33, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me, to baptize in water, said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus, the promise of the Father is that we are going to be immersed in the Spirit. Immersed in the Spirit. If we're immersed in the Spirit, He should be dripping off of us. There should be activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Smith Wigglesworth had a phrase that says, We should be constantly ablaze with Holy Ghost activity. That would be normative Christianity for those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. These are the two main aspects of Jesus' ministry that John the Baptist points out in his gospel. The inner working and the external working. So I wanna, I wanna just look at a couple of scriptures. There is an inner working of the Holy Spirit. We call that salvation. We call that the sanctification of the Spirit. And then there's an external working. And what you're gonna see in the book of Acts is the, the wording that's used indicates what we just did here with little Joe. He's immersed and he's covered with the presence of the Holy Spirit just as people are covered with water when they go down into the Jordan. So to be baptized, there's one of those cases. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait there until you are 
clothed with power from on high. Anybody know that verse? Luke 24, 49. Clothed with, do you usually wear your clothes on the inside or outside? There's a clothing that happens. Throughout the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, he was poured out upon them. He fell upon them. There's all of this language of the Spirit upon the life. That's the aspect of power. That's the aspect that enables us to be witnesses for Jesus when the Spirit is upon us. It's not just the internal life, which is powerful and beautiful. And honestly, as charismatics, we need more working of that in general. But it doesn't negate the fact that for us to... He he didn't say, when you receive this power, you're going to witness... You're you're going to be witnesses. Your life is going to actually show and represent the glory and the reality and the power of who Jesus is. There's a difference. But that only happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. I want to submit to you, this is a separate experience from salvation. When Jesus was speaking, and he revealed himself. He rose from the dead in Luke chapter 24. It says that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. In John's gospel chapter 20, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit after he had been raised from the dead. Thomas fell down on his knees and said what? What did he say when he saw Jesus? And Jesus said, put your, put your fingers in my hands and in my side. He fell down on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. I believe that those disciples were saved. They were born again. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. But there was a working that they had to have to do the work that he called them to of changing culture and of changing the world and of being those that were spoken of in the book of Acts. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. There's a working of the Holy Spirit where there's an exterior, there's manifestations. You can see it outwardly just like you can see the water on little Joe. There's a working of the Holy Spirit and we're supposed to be that people. That's what enables us to do the work. That's what enables us not only to do the work outside, but that's what enables us to build up the body inside, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, the the manifestation of the Spirit. What does manifestation mean? It means an exhibit. It means an outward expression. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to the three. It's given to everyone for the upbuilding of the body. And so we all are supposed to have some kind of manifestation of the Spirit. They're not all the same. But there has to be water dripping off of us. We're supposed to live our life with water dripping off of us. We're supposed to live our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit dripping off of us to where there's manifestations of the reality of Jesus in our lives. The inner working. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to just look at this verse because this is often um, referred to by cessationists. A cessationist is someone who believes that the working and the power of the Holy Spirit ceased with the apostles. 
I believe that is a demonic lie. Was that plain enough? I believe it's a demonic lie. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 is often quoted as being what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. But let's look at, let's look at what it says. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Okay, let's think about that. When little Joe went down, who did the baptizing in the Holy Spirit? Who did the baptizing in the Holy Spirit? Jesus is the one that the Father told John the Baptist. He's the one who's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptized. Who's baptizing here in verse 13? The Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit baptizing or placing us into? The body of Christ. What would that refer to? Come on, y'all. Salvation. When we become part of the body of Christ, we're saved. What 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is talking about is that we're saved. The Holy Spirit takes us. He took my wretched, twisted, crazy, foolish, idiotic hide after he poured his blood over me and washed me clean. And he said, here, you're part of the body. You don't look good now, but I'm going to continue working on you. You're part of the body, and I place you in the body of Christ. And at that time, he placed in me gifts that were just in really small seed form. And he said, I'm going to develop those gifts. But you're going to be a member that is going to help build up the body, and I'm placing you, Holy Spirit says, I'm placing you in the body. That's not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit baptizing you into the body of Christ. That's salvation. That's not the same. Just because the word Holy Spirit and baptism are in the same sentence doesn't mean they're the same. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Like, this is such a source of confusion. And this is what cessationists quote all the time. And I'm not, I don't have a spur in my saddle where I'm trying to go after them. But but, but the reason that it bothers me is not because they have a different opinion, but because I believe it keeps people from God's destiny, from the promise and the ministry of Jesus that God the Father wants all of his people to have. That's why it, it troubles me, grieves me. That's the inner working. Ezekiel 36 is the inner working where it says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. And I'm going to write on you my laws upon your heart. And I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. I'm going to take the stony heart out of you and put in you a heart of flesh. How beautiful is that? It's beautiful. That's talking about salvation. That's not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit working inside, internally. And I'm not saying that there's, uh, you know, a complete separation. But there is a difference in function And the Lord calls all of his people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have to be saved first. There's an inner working. There's an external working. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 to look at some of the external working. We're going to see what Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says the promise of the Father is. Acts chapter 2, we're going to just read some verses in this chapter, not the whole thing. I want to read verses 2 through 4 first. 
says this, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you go, oh, well, filled, that means internal, right? Filled means internal. But actually, this word filled, the Greek word pleroma, doesn't just mean internal, it means overflowing. It's like John chapter 7 when Jesus stood up on the last day of the feast and he cried out with a loud voice. So I do have, I have someone that I can model myself after. He cried out with a loud voice. There's lots of shouting in the book of Revelation if you want to go there and find out. There's lots of it. The closer you get to God, the more you shout. No, I'm just saying. He stood up with a loud voice and he cried out. If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me. And he who believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers. It's the same word that's translated floods in Matthew 7. This is a lot of water. It's coming out of your belly. So something happens where there's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to where there's an outflow that gives life. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we need that for each other's sake to build up the body and we need that for them out there. We need there to be an outflow of life. That comes from being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, we're still in. Let's look at verses 15 through 18. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. That this is the promise of the Father. Peter says that this prophecy of Joel encapsulates what the promise of the Father was. There's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon his people, and they're going to be drenched. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You're familiar with this passage, but think about what he's saying here. This is the fulfillment of the promise of the Father. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. There's an outpouring of the spirit upon the people of God. And then look at verse 32 and 33 of Acts 2. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, this is it. Peter says, this is it. This is that. This is the promise of the Father that you're observing right now. You think we're crazy and that we're drunk, but we're not. We've just been baptized in the Holy Spirit and now manifestations of his power and of his presence are coming out of us and you're all getting freaked out. Verse 33, 
Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Notice that. You both see it and you hear it. There's an external expression of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's part of what the promise of the Father is. This is filled to overflowing. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is not the same as salvation. This is a separate experience that they received. And it's separate when you read through the book of Acts. I know this, to some people this is controversial. To me, it's obvious, okay? I'm not saying it arrogantly. It's just, I think it is. Acts chapter 8. Philip, the evangelist, goes there and he evangelizes in Samaria. He preaches the gospel. They receive the word of God. They believed the preaching of Philip, and they were all baptized. What were they? What were they? They were saved. Would you dispute that? If, if you believe and are baptized, you're saved. Isn't that what the scripture says? So do you think that Philip was really naive and that all of these people just pulled the wool over his eyes and none of them were really believers? I mean, do you think that? But here's what happened. Jerusalem heard that in Samaria they had received the word of God. But that they hadn't yet, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. <laughs> Little Joe hadn't gone under the water yet. That's not okay. We're, we're great that they're saved, but it's not okay. So they send down the two big dogs. Peter and John, this is not okay. They have to be filled with the Spirit or the mission will get stalled. So Peter and John went down to Samaria and laid their hands on them and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Have you ever heard of having to have hands laid on you to be saved? Do you believe that's biblical? Well, what were Peter and John doing? Making a little show? Was this a charismatic circus? No. When they laid their hands on them, something happened that was seen and heard because there was a magician there who said, dude, this is amazing. How much you want? Give me that gift. I'll buy it. The guy who had been called the great power of God in that community and had hoodwinked everybody, whether it was demonic occultic power, probably, or whether he was just a really good David Copperfield. I don't know. But he was called the great power of God in their community. If he was super impressed with what he saw and heard, so much so that he was willing to pay, it must have been impressive. But that didn't happen when they believed the preaching of Philip. It didn't happen when they were baptized. It happened when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. Acts chapter 19. Paul goes to Ephesus. And he finds some disciples there. And he asks them this question. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? We already had the Holy Spirit. We, 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 we. 
We haven't even heard whether there be a Holy Spirit. He go, okay, well, let's back up. What kind of baptism did you receive then? Because if you received the biblical baptism, you would have heard of the Holy Spirit. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason you haven't heard of the Holy Spirit is because you weren't baptized right. What kind of baptism? Oh, the baptism of John. John pointed to Jesus, just like in John chapter 1, and said, here's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And they followed to the degree that they had knowledge. But Paul says, okay, let's back this up and let's start getting the foundation right. Here's the thing. Jesus he explained the whole story of Jesus and who he was and what it meant to actually surrender your life to him. And then they got baptized again. And then, what happened? Paul's like, it's, it's not good enough. He laid his hands on them and prayed for them and they all began to do what? praying tongues and prophesy. There was an external manifestation of the Holy Spirit that happened when they were saved. If having the Holy Spirit at salvation is the same thing as being baptized in the Holy Spirit, does that question even make sense? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Have you been saved since you were saved? Have you believed since you believed? No, because they're different. How many are doing okay out here? Listen, we're Pentecostal and unashamed. Here's the thing. Treasuring, this is not a braggadocious thing at all. This is treasuring the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but there's always a longing in me. I need more. I need to get down there with little Joe. I need to have the Holy Spirit poured out on me in so much greater measure than what I have right now. In order for that to happen, we have to treasure his presence. We're not spiritual thrill seekers, but we are seeking to be bold witnesses for Jesus. We are seeking for the fullness of the Holy Spirit and for the fullness of our lives to be yielded to him so that he can do and show whatever he wants to do and show through us. Who's with me on that? Supernatural ability to make Jesus known. Verse eight of Acts one, which we didn't get to because I'm, I jump around too much. You shall receive power, which is the word, You've heard it, dunamis. No, it doesn't mean dynamite. Um, dynamite wasn't even created for 1,850 years after that, okay? So when they said dunamis back then, they weren't thinking, boom! It wasn't, like, that's a modern thing. It's totally wrong. Anyway, dunamis means supernatural ability. What you could never do in yourself, God by his spirit, when he falls on you when you're baptized in him, will do those things through you that you could never do in your natural ability with all of the training of a lifetime. There is a power that happens and the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. There, there is no, I, I want to, I want to say this carefully. 
but I believe it's true. There, there's no such thing as a secret baptism in the Holy Spirit. It might be private. Mine was private in my bedroom, but it didn't stay there. It can't stay there. He won't allow it to stay there. Because when you're clothed with something, eventually somebody should see it. The New Testament calls us, I want to submit this to you. The New Testament calls us to a lifestyle of overflowing Holy Spirit fullness. A lifestyle. Let's, let's look at a couple of verses here in Acts chapter 2. and I'm, I'm, I'm nearing the runway to land. Acts 2, verse 37 to 39. Look at this. They, they've watched all this happen. And Peter says, now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Because Peter preached it pretty sharp. This is part of the being clothed with power from on high and the promise of the Father is that the words that were spoken, it says it pierced into their heart. It didn't just float into their mind. It pierced into their heart and it creates change. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, verse 37, and Peter said to the, and the rest of the apostles, they said to them, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent. Each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and, and, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. What promise? The promise of the Father of overflowing fullness of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for for you and for your children and here's where it gets good because that was 2,000 years ago and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself can I ask you a question has the Lord our God called you to himself then the promise of the Father is still for you It's for you. Here's what we cannot do is to have a doctrine of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and that's what we have. Unacceptable. I want to say something much stronger than that but I'm restraining myself. Why would we settle for having a doctrine of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and yet we have no clothes on? We, we, we have to be clothed. We have to get down there with little Joe. We have to be drenched and saturated to where every part of our life is teeming with the life of the Holy Spirit working through us. That's what he promised and that's what he desires for all of his children. The promise is for you and your children, all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. There are repeated refillings of the Spirit in the book of Acts. It's not just a one-time experience. Because the reality is we leak. 
Acts chapter 2, they were all filled. You agree? 120 came bolting out of that house. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Drenched. Peter preached. 3,000 get saved. That's a pretty powerful sermon. If you just read the, the words of his sermon, you, you know, you, you can take Peter's sermon and you can read it verbatim out in a crowd and 3,000 people won't get saved. Why not? It's just the words. Because there has to be a power of the Spirit that makes it alive when it comes through and it pierces through all the defenses and all of the hardness of heart. And people respond. That's what we need. That's what we need. Peter in chapter 4, before the Sanhedrin. It's not that long afterwards. It says, he stood up before the Sanhedrin and he was filled with the Spirit. Again, at the end of Acts chapter 4, when persecution happens, they all gather together in a prayer meeting. And can I tell you, like, prayer is really well connected with getting in the water. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan... It says, and he was praying, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. When the 120 were waiting, they were all gathered together with one mind, and they were all seeking the face of God and praying. There's, there's a connection. This is why corporate prayer is not optional. It's not for the ultra-spiritual or for the intercessors. It's for believers who are hungry for God and for more of Him. If anyone's thirsty, let him come. Sometimes you've got to prime the pump. Yo. If you know how many times and what percentage of times in prayer in my life started out dry as a bone, you might be shocked, but you probably wouldn't be because it's the same for you. You start and you prime the pump. You go, God, I'm here for you. I'm here because I love you. I'm here because I need you. I'm here because I'm crying out to you for more. Because on my own, I'm a big zero. And only if I'm connected to you through the vine, will that life flow through me and can I produce fruit? Peter was filled again. Acts chapter 4. They all gathered together. They had a prayer meeting at the end of Acts chapter 4. And when they prayed, the Bible says, the place what they, where they assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with with boldness. How many have ever struggled with boldness in your life? The answer, the answer is in the water. The connection between boldness and the Holy Spirit's presence is absolutely established throughout the book of Acts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Acts chapter 6, Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He got up and preached to the leaders. It was going to cost him his life. That was an amazing, amazing sermon. 
And when he got up to speak, they saw him and his face looked like what? The face of an angel. It was radiating. The presence and the power of God. Acts chapter 9, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit when Ananias came to him and prayed for him. The Lord has sent me, Paul, to pray for you that you would be healed and that you'd receive the Holy Spirit. We don't have the record of exactly how that played out. We do know later that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you Corinthians, which is a lot. Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 13, he comes in a difficult ministry situation. He's trying to witness to this governor, and he's got this counselor there who's one of these magis. They're, they're, they're magicians, and a lot of times they're were, they were wise men. So, so they were used for counsel. And this guy, Elamus, opposed Paul and tried to talk the governor out of believing what Paul was saying. And Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, you son of the devil. <laughs> the Holy Spirit talked like that? Evidently. You son of all right, unrighteousness, you're going to be blind. The Lord's striking you blind right now. So you'll learn to hold your tongue. Filled with the Holy Spirit. At the end of Acts chapter 13, verse 52, it says, and all the disciples were continually, catch that word, were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There's a continually. Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't act like a fool. Don't live in the flesh. Don't live to feed your fleshly desires. Don't do that. You're wasting your life when you do that. Don't be drunk with wine. That's, that's wasting your life. But be filled. The Greek tense there is be continually filled. Keep being filled. Keep being filled. Keep being filled. Keep getting down in the water. Keep being filled. Be filled with the Spirit. Continually. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual song. Here's, here's the fullness of the Holy Spirit overflowing into the local body to build up, to strengthen, and to show forth the reality of Jesus inside of our gatherings. All that to say, there is, there's a continual filling that God calls his people to. It's not a one-time experience. It's over and over again. We're supposed to be filled we're supposed to be clothed. Refillings. Here's my question. Will you dare to ask the Father for everything he's promised you? Or will you stay right where you are? Another question. Do, do, are, are you satisfied with the amount of the working of the Holy Spirit upon your life and through you at this moment? Are, are you satisfied with that? Like, are you okay with just living like you've been living and then just keep showing up and we'll, we'll gather together and have meetings and we'll worship and we'll have good prayer? Are, are, you, are you okay with the amount of the Holy Spirit manifesting in, in your life right now?
This, this is sacred. This is not spiritual thrill-seeking. This has all of eternity hanging on it for the mission of Jesus and for his purpose for our lives. A friend, last week we were at a, a conference talking about ministry stuff, and he made this statement. He said he'd never said it before. Uh, I, feel, I believe it came out of the spirit of prophecy, but it has resonated inside of me ever since he said it. And here's what he said. We must protect the sacred in our midst. And I want to put that out there for you.